Oh, turn it up. Got your icon pass, powder slash it. 50 plus destinations. Speaking of, did you get your icon pass yet, Sean? I'm on iconpass.com dropping in right now. Wow. From just $2.59 adult? Okay. Done. Robert Jensen, the man whom Duke Divinity Professor Stanley Hauerwas calls America's best theologian. And Time Magazine called Stanley the same said this vision of God laid before the prophet Ezekiel is the whole ball of wax when it comes to whether or not Christianity is true or utter malarkey. The prophet Ezekiel began by avoiding the obvious answer to the Lord's question. The Lord asked, can these bones live? Well, the Sunday school answer is, of course, God, you above all can do anything. Instead, Ezekiel, perhaps because of a sense of doubt, said, Lord God, you know. Or better translated, I don't know, Lord, you tell me. The Lord told Ezekiel to speak to the bones. Speak to the bones? A valley full of bones, human remains, piled upon one another, bones that had been long forgotten and scavenged over by animals and insects. Nothing remained but dry and brittle bones. All evidence of the lives once present were gone. At Robert Jensen's funeral, Victor Lee Austin, the theologian in residence of the Episcopal Diocese of Dallas, said that the act of prophesying to these bones is a tiny movement, but it is the pivot upon which a vast future creaked into being. Ezekiel said, Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter in you, and you shall live. After Ezekiel had done as the Lord commanded, the bones rattled, they began to come together and were remade as though the physical signs of life had never been stripped away by the pains of death. That was not enough for God. The Lord commanded Ezekiel to prophesy again, calling breath to enter these newly constructed bodies. Once the breath of the Lord had entered their bodies, the vast multitude was able to live. Even in a place where despair was present, the Lord tells us there is hope. The Lord says it does not have to be this way. Our ever-changing new normal began one year ago, and it's been anything but normal. It was one year ago that parents received a text message from school systems informing them that spring break would begin a bit earlier than expected. We began hearing more and more about a rapidly spreading virus that had not quite touched our lives yet, but was getting closer than was comfortable. Overnight, we began keeping our distance from one another, from extended family, from friends, and from strangers at the grocery store. We made masks out of bandanas and rubber bands. We hoarded toilet paper. Some of us still don't need to buy toilet paper. And we stocked up on any of the essentials that we could find. We sat in front of our televisions. And we scrolled endlessly online looking for information about the virus, determining what we needed to do to protect ourselves and our loved ones. We were frightened. 
Many of us didn't know what a coronavirus was. We had never lived through a pandemic. And what we discovered online about the Spanish flu of 1819 told us that the valley we were entering into would not be easily traveled. What we took for granted. Barbershop visits, attending church in church, dining outside of our homes, visiting our grandparents or grandchildren, summer vacations, and much, much more became high-risk activities without notice. The three-week extended spring break became a month, then three. And before we knew it, a year has passed, and we're not sure how much longer we have to go. Even with a vaccine rolling out, coming to a pharmacy or parking lot near you, we're not quite out of this yet, even as it feels like we can't take anymore. Phrases like, when COVID is over, I'm going to, are becoming part of our common vernacular. And it didn't have to be this way. For the last two months, I've been serving as a hospital chaplain at Mary Washington Hospital in Fredericksburg. I am enrolled in a program to help pastors learn how to provide better pastoral care. I'm assigned to two units within the hospital, one of which is an intensive care unit where patients are being treated for COVID-19. If there was a 2020-2021 equivalent of the Valley of Dry Bones, two south and west of Mary Washington Hospital is it. Patients are in isolation, with their medical teams dressed in equipment that could double as astronaut suits, with visits from the chaplain most likely happening over the phone. Elsewhere in the hospital, patients are isolated as well, Visitors are limited to one person. That's one person per patient per admission. Family must decide who will be the one to visit a parent or child while they're admitted. Tensions are high and morale is low. In the end, well, we can see that the end may be in sight, but with too many variables and past experiences looming overhead, staff and patients are not getting their hopes up. The same conditions can be found at hospitals around the world. A few weeks ago, I was asked by an educator at the hospital how it was going, how my experience had been visiting with patients and family, providing pastoral care during a global pandemic. Unexpectedly, I broke down. I blurted out, it didn't have to be this way. The educator asked, what do you mean? Practically, or theologically, dear. She asked, are you referring to the death toll of the pandemic or death in general? I shrugged my shoulders. Both, I guess. Over half a million Americans, 2.5 million people worldwide, did not have to die. We did not have to lose the things that we took for granted. We didn't have to miss birthday parties. We did not have to fight with one another, one another over toilet paper or argue about the use of masks and the need for shutdowns. A year later, we find ourselves in the Valley of Dry Bones, in a place where we did not have to be. And yet, ever since sin and death entered creation, we have been wandering in and out of the valley. Given the invitation from God to choose new life, we 
turn away, turning towards sin and death. We can repent and turn back towards God, yet inevitably we will turn back towards sin and as a result, death. The Gospel of John tells us about Jesus arriving at the grave of his friend, Lazarus. Lazarus has been dead for four days. The bones may not yet have been dry, but life had left Lazarus's body and he had been placed in a tomb. When Jesus arrived, he was overcome by the death of his friend. Jesus was confronted with the consequences of our proclivity for sin. This is where we find the shortest, yet one of the most profound verses in all of Scripture. Jesus wept. When faced with death, Jesus, the Son of God, Emmanuel, the loquacious Logos, had a bodily reaction. No single Hollywood-style tear streaming down his face. No, Jesus had a gut-wrenching response. The response many of us have had over the past year when we've been confronted by death and have not been able to say goodbye. Many of us know this feeling. And when death was laying in front of him, having been wrapped for four days prior in burial clothes, Jesus wept. But then Jesus called out, Lazarus, come out. Leaving his tomb, his burial clothes behind, Lazarus exited the tomb and those gathered witnessed Ezekiel's vision in the valley for the dry bones for themselves. They saw life return. Before them was a man who had entered the tomb that they thought to have been dead and it didn't have to have gone that way. God does not delight in suffering and death. When face to face with the condition we all carry, God became angry. God wept. He was unnerved. Disease and affliction are not part of God's punishment, doled out to humanity for whatever reason. Disease and affliction are signs of an enemy named death, a condition that entered into creation when humanity chose to turn away from God. The church calls this sin. And standing at his friend's tomb, face to face with this enemy, God, Christ, is angry. So angry that he had a bodily response. Lazarus carried a disease more widespread than, a pan- than any pandemic the world has ever faced. Death. We are all afflicted by sin and as a result afflicted by death. Not because of you as an individual, rather because creation has turned away from God. When we name this affliction, we find it hard, nearly impossible to turn away from it. None can escape it. No number of cancellations or changes in plans. Social distancing cannot cancel or change this condition we all face. But in Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the one who came down from on high and took on our earthly existence, we are recipients of the promise that sin and death do not get the last word. We walk into the valley of dry bones each time we choose sin and death over the sustaining love and freedom offered to us freely, without cost, by God, our creator in Jesus Christ. Where hope seems lost and the dryness of sin and death is all that remains in dust and ash and in the grave, the Lord is going to shout, out. The Lord is shouting, come out, follow me. It doesn't have to be this way. It will not be 
this way. Regardless of where we have been worshiping over the past year, we, the church, Christ's called and gathered body, we are resurrection people. We do not believe that sin and death and the hopeless valley of dry bones hold the last word. This has been difficult to remember over the past year. Because frankly, death and dry bones have been part of our everyday life. Even if you have somehow managed to avoid the virus over the past year, you have still had your life turned upside down. You might be working from home. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you've been separated from your family, physically because of the virus or socially because of disagreements over the need for masks and distancing and protocols. Maybe you're coming off of a shift right now where you are wearing one of those astronaut-like suits only to see people at the grocery store ignoring the practices that would keep them from needing your care. This past year has proved to us, whether we wanted it to or not, that no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we want it to be different, sin and death, the valley of the dry bones are ever around us. Week after week and day after day, the church has been a broken record, the same broken record that it's been since Christ was called out of a borrowed grave. On the third day, we proclaim hope and promise. It didn't have to be like this. Sin and death did not have to have a grip on creation. And church, we will say it. And we say it every week that it will not be like this. There is hope. We have been assured through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, promised that sin and death do not hold the last word. There is hope. Every time we proclaim Christ resurrected, we are telling the world that what we see before us will not last, and that the same God who can fill the driest bones with breath, with life, can call a dead man from his internal slumber and raise a crucified son, will do the same for us. I offer it to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.